What's going on, party people? This is Steven here. I just want to first thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. However, I did realize after recording that we did have some audio issues. I did my best to try to edit it out, so I do apologize in advance if it does skip a little bit. And yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I'm looking forward to recording future episodes. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos's very own The Bird Rides Podcast. With me today, we have a very special guest, Asher Levy. He is a Nugget Speed reporter, and he is a friend of mine through um, a course we took with John Ross, who was a video coordinator with the Portland Trailblazers, and he was in their front office for a bit. So we ended up in the same cohort, same group to do a mock draft. And it was us and then the guys from Upside Swings podcast, um, Cooper and Stone, and then um, Alfred Garrett. So just to give a little background on how Asher and I know each other, how we got acquainted, and yeah, so Asher is a beat reporter for the Nuggets, and the Nuggets of the third team we're going to be going over in this installment of going over all 30 teams' off-season, off-season previews, or off-season reviews and season previews, excuse me. So, Asher, first of all, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, doing fine. Uh, the off-season is uh, all the way in swing. There's not a ton to talk about uh, besides, like, the schedule drop today. So there's some news to talk about, but uh, I've been enjoying my off time uh, after doing a lot for the draft it was nice to get a little little break there yeah definitely and you know when i was putting the itinerary for today's pod i was like you know what denver i really don't have all that much i did the same thing i the last episode i did that was posted this morning was the pacers and the pacers were like okay they have cap space what can they do with it next season we could talk about the deandre aiden saga that lasted a whole 15 minutes but the nuggets you know they kind of had the infrastructure in place sure they made a trade or two they made a signing or two they had two first round picks but really you know they the key for them was to really get healthy to really be a contender yeah i a lot of the stuff that they had issues with last year they either addressed through you know the little moves to get better role players or at least better fitting role players or they were just waiting for jamal murray and michael porter jr to get healthy because when two of your big three are hurt it's pretty difficult even with the mvp of the league to you know uh, compete on a high level the mp mvp of the league that joel Embiid rightly deserved but that's Uh, every uh, right. The media ballots disagreed. The the yes, league disagreed. Did. So it was. You have to admit, I know you're like a Nuggets fan and all, but Embiid and like if you're just looking at like strictly Vegas odds, 
it was Embiid the whole season. Then out of one day, I woke up and Jokic was like minus 200. So it was it, given that you watch every Nuggets game, was there like a specific point in the season where that kind of turns? Because it was because of Embiid's play that, you know, that flip switched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I, don't know what it was that all of a sudden it was Embiid a heavy favorite and then Jokic a heavy favorite basically out of nowhere. I think that uh, it came down to there were there were a couple moments that really defined that race. One thing that I think helped Jokic was the 76ers getting Harden. Um, because, you know, even if he didn't play at the level that he had previous seasons, he still has that name value. And for uh, a lot of casual fans, which is the majority of, you know, the league's fan base, even a lot of media members name value carries a lot of weight and they don't completely pay attention to, Oh, James Harden was lost, lost a step last season. You know, he wasn't, he was still dealing with a hamstring thing, I think, but you know, there are a lot of little things where, uh, those instances can be like, oh, well, Embiid has help now. He has James Harden. When, you know, if you were paying attention, yeah, like Jokic, Jokic's second best player was Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon is a phenomenal player, but he's not meant to be a second option. He's meant to be that fourth or fifth guy. And, you know, and at the time it was either him or Will Barton as the second option. And then you look at the Sixers and uh, Joe well had, you know, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, uh, James Harden. You know, he had better help than Joker. And then also another uh, thing that swung the odds, I believe, was the Tim Bontemps poll. Uh, he takes polls every year oh, yes, asking, please. yeah, uh, you know, to see what MVP is looking like uh, whenever he does the poll. And, you know, Jokic came out as a heavy favorite in one of those polls. And that one, I think, is around when the odds started swinging in Jokic's favor. But he also was just putting up, you know, insane production. Both of them were. Like, if you're a top six player in the NBA, you're going to be putting up insane production. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with the first Jokic MVP. Um, obviously, you know, when Bede had that knee injury against the Wizards and ended up missing – too many games, but I, I think Embiid would have had would have won that year had he not get injured. But you know that was a fluky COVID season where, you know, Jokic the best ability is availability. Jokic was, you know, he he mm-hmm. played I think every single game his MVP that first MVP year. Yeah, he he I think he rested like a couple games, but he yeah, played but, the vast majority yeah, of for the them. most part. He didn't get COVID, yeah. didn't get an injury, he avoided all that. Yeah. So okay, so let's quickly look at the Nuggets um tax situation. So we're going to get into it, but the Nuggets really aren't operating like a small market team usually does. I mean, usually, like, let's take Memphis, for example, just because they're mm-hmm. competing. Or Denver's more on, like, the Milwaukee side of a small market of they're paying the tax, they're trading all their picks, and, you know, they're really going for it, which we obviously the Lakers do that, the Warriors do that, the Clippers do that, the Sixers do that. That's no big deal when you're a bigger market. But the fact that, you know, Denver is going to be, are they in the repeat or tax this year? Or does that begin, I believe, next year for them? Oh, that should start next year for them. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to get into those numbers as well. But it, they're almost certainly going to be a repeat or tax team. They yeah. have $164 million in committed money now, which is in the tax by, you know, a couple million. So maybe conceivably they get out if they trade like a Jeff Green and – you know, just ride with 14 guys on the roster or maybe an Ish Smith, that's conceivable. Um, but otherwise, I mean, beyond that, 
Well, sorry, I'm looking at next year's numbers. Next year's they have $164 million and the tax threshold's 161. This year they're 12 million over. So this year they're, you know, most likely going to be a tax team. And my number of 164 for the following year, for next year, that doesn't even include Bruce Brown because I'm assuming he could opt out of his player option. Yeah, uh, they paid the tax this season. Uh, They, after not paying it for the uh, previous few seasons, this season they went out and they committed more money than they had uh, because a a large part of it is MPJ's uh, extension kicking in for this season. But, you know, they have a lot of contracts on the books. They have Jokic who signed the richest uh, extension in league history. They have Jamal Murray, who's on a max contract. They have Michael Porter, who's on a max contract. They have Aaron Gordon, who's making 21, 22 million this year. They have KCP who's making up around 12 to 13 million. And then they have other players like Bruce Brown making, you know, the taxpayer mid-level. They have Jeff Green who's making about 5 million. Yeah. They have a lot of guys making uh, money and, uh, yeah, they, they committed to paying the tax this season and they have, they had been talking, uh, the ownership had been talking, like we will pay the tax when the time comes, we will pay the tax. And they backed up their words this season. The Cronkies aren't always known for spending the most money, uh, but they did that this season. So, you know, it's an encouraging sign going forward. Yeah. And I noted on here that Denver's actually only one of four teams to have three true max level guys with mm-hmm. obviously the Lakers have Westbrook, AD and LeBron. The Warriors have Wiggins, Steph, and who, the third one I'm assuming is Clay. I believe it's not, so. It's not Draymond. Yeah. And then the Nets obviously with Ben Simmons on the rookie max. And then as of now, Kyrie and KD, obviously that's mm-hmm. subject to change. Sixers, obviously, you know, they have three big contracts with Harden and Beaton. Tobias isn't quite a max, so that's why they don't qualify. But just mm-hmm. to get perspective, like, what Denver's doing, as I said, those teams are the Nets, the Lakers, and Warriors, three big markets. So what mm-hmm. Denver's doing really is pretty unprecedented for a small market team. Yeah. I think there's also something to be of those four teams, the only one with all the three of those guys homegrown. Um, I don't know, like – how much that really matters, but all th- three of these guys have developed uh, alongside each other, which, you know, grows chemistry. And I think that shows uh, with the Nuggets and how they play, because if you've ever watched a game where it's a close Nuggets game, fourth quarter, you know what action they're running. And it's going to be Jokic Murray two-man game. Mm-hmm. They just bludgeon teams to death with a Jokic Murray pick and roll. But they're able to do that because they've done this for however many seasons now, you know, like I think that helps uh, a lot trying to integrate uh, guys like Jamal Murray and Mike Porter because a lot of the time if you're trying to reintegrate guys uh, it takes a long time and it probably will take time with Nuggets but I think with you know Jamal Murray and MPJ they both play very well off of Jokic and both have very Michael Porter Jr. specifically uh, is very like scalable like if you want him to just stand in the corner he can do that you, if you want him running off screens he can do that like as long as he's off ball, he can do what you want him to. So I don't think they'll have much trouble reintegrating guys like uh, maybe a new signing would or something. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, the expectations for the season, everything like that. Um, first of all, what do you think of MPJ's injury? Because I, if, 
everyone knows he fell to 14 in the draft because of injury concerns, because he had back surgery, a freshman year in Missouri. And now, yeah. you know, it's a back issue again. So again, I actually just traded for Michael Porter Jr. in like um, a keeper fancy basketball league yesterday, hoping, you know, he has top 10 upside in the NBA, in my opinion. It's just at least offense as an offensive weapon. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, wh- what, what kind of trepidation do Nuggets fans have around him? I mean, is, is it mostly positive? I know he's healthy right now, but. Uh, I think the injury is a weird one because like we know the talent is there. It's for the, the shot here, the, you know, like the scoring talent is there and it's, you know, quantifiable. You can see like anytime he steps on the court, he's scoring, but he also is coming off of his third back surgery and he just turned 24. Yeah. So there's a lot like, also, the front office always says, like, MPJ is a hard worker. I, I haven't heard anything saying that he's not a hard worker. He, it's just a question of will he be able to be uh, based off will he be able to touch the floor. Um, and I think this season he kind of needs to play on a minute restriction in all likelihood. Like, if, he's, if he tweaks his back again, that probably keeps him out another couple months. Even if it's a minor thing, you have to be so cautious with MPJ's back at this point. Um, so uh, I'm not sure uh, what, you know, that injury. I'm not a, not even like doctors are fully sure. Like you can't predict these things. A lot of the time health, it comes down to luck. Um, but the, the injury is definitely a concern uh, as I, I don't see how it couldn't be, but he should be back to 100% this season. We'll see if that sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Call Only time will tell. From someone who, you know, we had Joel Embiid miss the first two years of his career. And, you know, at that point, he was kind of labeled injury prone. Sure, he's probably going to always max out in maybe 68 games in a year on a good year. But, I mean, other than that, if you, if you guaranteed mm-hmm. he's going to play between 64 and 68 games every year, I'm going to take it. So maybe that's the same trajectory for yeah. NBA. Yeah, like, uh, I think if you can get, like, 64 to 68 games out of him a year, you consider that a success. Yeah, as long as he's as long as long he's able to uh, be tenable, like, health-wise, uh, even if it's, like, he can only play 60 games a season, as long as you're getting him for, like, 75% of the games, I think you consider that a success uh, with his injury history. Yeah. So, obviously, as you said, all three of the Nuggets' big three are homegrown guys. Denver's actually very good at not only drafting, but the phenomenal player development. We see that with guys like, obviously, Jokic, everyone knows he was a second-round pick. But even guys like Monte Morris, who last year, well, last year he was a starter, but he's established himself as one of the better, if not the best backup point guard in the league. Obviously, mm-hmm. he might be starting for Washington now, so he might not have yeah. the label anymore. But needless to say, um, Denver... You know, they really have no picks to trade and They could trade their 2029 based off protections on that pick, but they mm-hmm. will, they'll, they're likely going to lose their 23, their 25, and their 27 all in separate trades. 23 is out to Charlotte, 25 is out to Orlando, 27 to OKC. So it's interesting to see a team that's so good at drafting. And again, I know you're competing and you're going for a championship and that's your priority. So that's why you, you know, trade your picks. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting to see, like, 
Toronto, even when they went for what they're so good at player development, so good at drafting, they held yeah. on to all their picks and they ended up netting Scotty Barnes on an off year. So it, it's just interesting. Again, if they just, again, I'm just suppose I'm reiterating at this point how they're not operating like a small market team usually operates. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that drafting stuff comes down to the fact that they're just in a different phase of uh, a team's life cycle right now because they they spent two first round picks in this draft, which is more than I was. I I expected them to trade that pick, expecting them to pick at 30 either. I was expecting them to try and move those one of or both of those picks for something. And then they also traded into the second uh, round to get Ishmael Kamagate. But with making all those picks, I think this marks like the final large draft for Denver, uh, whether that turns out to be a large draft in either a good sense or a bad sense, because they put a lot of assets into this draft could have theoretically traded, you know, pick 21 or pick 30 or whatever for something uh, already established. When so they decided to go out and get Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Ishmael Kamagate. Now, it's good to have young guys in the pipeline and, you know, they have historically drafted very well. So having confidence in the front office to make good picks is not hard to do, but they did trade a 2027 first round pick uh, that I believe was top protected or top five protected uh, for Peyton Watson for the pick that ended up being Peyton Watson with the Jermichael wing trade. And yeah, they could have used that asset in other places. So there are expectations on, you know, a Peyton Watson to develop in the next couple of years. He's not going to be an impact guy this season, but you know, a a couple of seasons from now, you hope that he becomes a very good defender in the league and can do something offensively, whether that be, you know, using his playmaking, whatever, just do something offensively to make him, you know, like a very, very, very top end defender with some offensive skill. So I think it's interesting, uh, the approach they took. Uh, I, th- I can see the vision with a lot of the things that they decided to do, but I think they, they used most of their assets. So you're going to be locked into this core for a, a long time unless you decide to pull the plug on one of the cores. Like if they decided to trade, you know, one of the big guys, like one of the top four, that's a big trade and What's you're disrupting. Gordon? Yeah. Okay drastic would have to happen for that to happen. Uh, so they're really banking on this core being good moving forward. Okay. So I'm going to ask a two-part question now while that we're on the draft. One, yeah. you mentioned, or we both mentioned, you know, Denver being good at drafting and, you know, everything like that. My first question is, is Kamigate coming over this year? Because I read that he's most likely not but I haven't had any definitive confirmation on that. Uh, yeah, no, Ishmael is not going to be coming okay. over this And season. I know the roster's full currently, so, mm-hmm. okay. Part two, from just what I read based off, you know, Nuggets fans on Twitter, mm-hmm. they're pretty upset with Tim Connolly leaving and going to Minnesota. So do you have any sort of insight on Denver letting him go or not wanting to pay him enough? I, I'm not sure how the whole situation broke down. I just know, you know, it happened and Denver fans are upset about it. Yeah. Standing is that this was in the works for 
a while, a, a while, relatively speaking, before even Woj tweeted about it. Um, it was happening behind the scenes for a while. Minnesota was courting Tim Connolly. And, you know, he ended up moving to Minnesota. Uh, Denver's ownership decided to not match his offer. Uh, and they moved on to Calvin Booth. They don't have... Uh, owners and have a great record of paying their executives. Uh, they let Masai Ujiri go when he was mm-hmm. when he was with the Nuggets. He was one of the, I think he was in the bottom half of what like of executives salary wise. And then Tim Conley was also uh, not like a super high paid executive, and Minnesota made him that. I think now, be it I think Calvin Booth maybe did a better job than Tim Conley would have done this offseason. I don't think Tim Conley makes a lot of the same moves that Calvin did. I think he makes a lot of moves, but I think Calvin uh, committed to defense a little more than Tim Conley would have. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it mainly comes down to Tim Conley getting more than the Nuggets were comfortable paying is my understanding of it. Okay. Yeah. And Calvin Booth, you know, he's now the GM. So let's get mm-hmm. into some of the moves that he made since Tim Conley left. So the Contavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith trade, Will Bolden and Monte Morris go out. Those are two guys that were starting for you last year. And mm-hmm. now Contav- it seems like Contavious Caldwell Pope is their guy, that they valued him pretty substantially more than Will Bolden. And obviously it saved them money. It saved them almost five mil against the cap, which at the time got them under the tax. Be proud of the draft, proud of signing Bruce Brown, everything like that. But mm-hmm. again, Monte Morris is a player. And the fact that they traded their backup point guard um, after, you know, Jamal Moe is coming off a 20 CL, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a big, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, they trust Bones Highland. They're, they're expecting him to break out. They're ready for him to take yeah. the next step. It's an endorsement. Him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, so what, what's the perception with that trade on August fans? Cause I don't know if it made them better. It obviously did save them money. And again, the NBA is a business. But I, they might have still walked away with the best player in the deal, even though they gave up, you know, two starters from last year. I think that it makes them better pretty solidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they gave up more talent than they got back, I think, because I think they got the best player back in the deal, but gave up the second and third best players. Yeah. Um, but I think KCP's fit as the fifth man is so much better than what they would have had if they had kept a Will Barton uh, or Monte Morris, that it makes up for that talent differential. And they also extended KCP. So you have uh, your starting five of Jamal Murray, KCP, uh, Porter Jr., Gordon, Jokic for the next, I believe, three years minimum yeah. uh, or two years, something like that. Like you have it for multiple years. It's not a Jeremy Grant thing where they trade it for him and he can just leave the next option. Uh, and that will barton was his defense was really bad uh this past season he started the year really well but he lost steam as the season went on went along um like if you take i think if you look at my tweets from like november of last season uh, i was legitimately like will barton all-star and that wasn't like me doing a homer bit or anything like he was legitimately playing mm-hmm. uh, be it a lot of people were playing really bad for the season a little more room for you know that to be said but he was legitimately playing as a good two-way player and 
he fell off, you know, as the season went on. And by the time the playoffs rolled around, he was uh, playing inefficient. He was very bad defensively. Like he was struggling to make rotations. He would get blown by. It was clear that he had just kind of lost a step. And I think a new change of scenery for him, I think he'll do better in Washington than he did in Denver last season. I'm still rooting for Will Barton. Uh, Monte Morris is another that is good, uh, just not what the Nuggets needed because he tries on defense, but he's too small to really have a defensive impact that is neutral or positive in the playoffs. He's a defensive negative in the playoffs. And uh, with, you know, Bones having the rookie year that he did, it makes you more comfortable accepting Bones is the backup point guard. Jamal Murray is the starting point guard because Jamal Murray will be resting backs probably to start the season. But by the time the playoffs roll around, you hope he's 100% healthy. You know, you hope that he is able to go out there and play uh, for his, you know, for every game, starters minutes, you know. Uh, so the plan is Bones runs that second unit. And I think he adds more dynamicism, uh, more dynamic uh, stuff to the bench than Monte Morris did. Monte Morris was a very safe player, uh, but he has a long load up shot. He doesn't have the uh, threat. He doesn't threaten defenses like Bones has the potential to. He's definitely the safer option. But I think Bones has a higher ceiling this season. Uh, and obviously going forward, I, I think that's pretty clear. But that trade, I think, brings in a guy who is the perfect complementary piece to what was already established because he's a fantastic shooter, a pretty good defender, gets over screens really well, which the Nuggets' best perimeter defender last season was Aaron Gordon and Austin River. And Aaron Gordon should be asked to be like a health guy, not asked to guard Jordan Poole and Steph Curry. Okay. Let's move on to the signings. So the big addition, well, big additions, Bruce Brown obviously came over with the taxpayer level. Mm-hmm. And then there was a joke on Twitter because one of the first Wall Streets when the offseason started was, oh, the Nuggets signed DeAndre Jordan. And people were literally on Twitter, oh my God, the Nuggets literally tampered to sign DeAndre Jordan. Honestly, I did my mock offseason for Sports Ethos. I didn't have DeAndre Jordan even signing with the team. So honestly, it wouldn't shock me if you told me, no, Denver honestly did not call his agent until 6 o'clock or 6.01. And they accepted it immediately because he didn't think he was getting anything. So that's why it was tweeted at 6.03. So that's just preface to say, like, DeAndre Jordan fell out of favor in Brooklyn. He fell out of favor in LA. And then he fell out of favor in Philly. So what's... I get it. You want a big body to back up Jokic, but I mean, how long is that going to last before they say, okay, we're going to go with Zeke Naji? I mean, I, I don't think DeAndre Jordan plays, honestly, uh, at least big. I think, mm-hmm. I think Zeke Naji is the five to start the season. Yeah. Uh, but I think DeAndre Jordan uh, was a big part in getting Bruce Brown to the Nuggets. And Jeff Green was also a big part in getting Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan to sign with the Nuggets. DeAndre Jordan is seen across the league as like a really, really great locker room guy. And they wanted a better locker room presence after last season. There was some stuff with like Boogie that, you know, he and Will Barton got into a little scuffle in the playoffs. Uh, and there was just some stuff there. And 
DeAndre Jordan is one of the most well-liked guys in the league. Yeah. And we saw that with, you know, when Katie and Kyrie took a pay cut just to play with. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Again, nothing. I'm not saying to DeAndre Jordan. I'm just saying play wise, you know, he has fallen out of favor. So it was interesting he, to see yeah, that yeah. that was one of the first moves of the entire offseason that he got a guaranteed deal. Oh, absolutely. At the, at the time I was uh, sitting like just waiting for to come. And the first notification I get is DeAndre Jordan has signed to the Denver Nuggets. So I'm like, what? Uh, but yeah, the, if he plays, I think that that's a bad contract. If he's just a locker room guy, I think it's fine. Yeah. So, okay. So then let's talk about some trade possibilities. Obviously, as everyone who's listening, you know, this is a front office podcast and who doesn't like talking about trade possibilities? I mean, there's always speculation going on. So Denver's in a weird situation where they can really trade many guys because like, again, they have three guys on maxes. So you can't really salary match to when you have three guys, three max guys. Aaron Gordon might not be going anywhere. They just signed KCP to an extension. So odds are they don't want to move yeah. him. And they just signed Bruce Brown. So odds are they don't want to move him. So yeah. a, a lot of moves I made either would be either moving Aaron Gordon for just somebody I think would fit better and maybe upgrade the team overall or packaging like a Jeff Green and Ish Smith to you know, try to get that seventh guy in the rotation type guy. Yeah. Or eighth guy, if you include Bones and um, Bruce Brown. Yeah. So the first guy I have is Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he'd probably be a net downgrade to Aaron Gordon, but I'm thinking if they would throw like, one, the shot creation I think would help Denver, and the aspect of like, if Dallas would have thrown a pick with him just to recoup some of the picks to make a subsequent trade, I could tell by the look on your face, you don't love it at all. No. Okay. Uh, I, I don't see the Nuggets. I don't see the Nuggets trading Aaron Gordon unless it was in a trade for like an all-star caliber player. So um, what about like a John Collins? That's the next guy. Even then, I, I think, I think Aaron Gordon fits perfectly into what his role will be with the Nuggets. Okay. They just need him to, be a good defender, a great defender, which he will be, and fit in offensively. And last season, he was asked to be the second option. He's going to be the fourth or fifth op, depending on the night between him. Uh, and he's the perfect complementary piece next to Jokic, Jamal, and Porter. He covers up for a lot of you know Porter's weak weaknesses defensively. Gordon's there. Uh, he and Jokic have a great two-man uh, chemistry going on. He's a fantastic cutter super athletic. I think he just fits the nuggets perfectly. I, I don't see a realistic, uh, like unless someone were to become available that is not available at the moment, I don't see the nuggets, uh, trading Aaron Gordon. Okay. So that those were really, those were really the two names I had for like an Aaron Gordon trade again. I really yeah. don't see Denver trading him. I also had Buddy Heald, but if you're not going to like Tim Hardaway Jr., Buddy Heald will provide elite shooting. That's why I included him. But Gordon provides the elite athleticism that Denver also lacks. So it's yeah. kind of like, okay. So here's guys where like you'd have to package an Ish Smith. You'd have to package a um, Jeff Green, like both of them for somebody. Mm-hmm. Kobe White from Chicago. You probably have to include a second. Or you definitely have to include at least one second, if not two. He's an expiring deal. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know how much sense it makes because okay. uh, I think I don't know where he plays uh, for the Nuggets because he's not going to start. Because I think Jamal, 
I I'm not going to pretend I watch like all of the Bulls games, but every Bulls game I saw, he was mainly doing on ball stuff. Uh, and I don't really see him getting those on ball opportunities next to either Jamal or Bones. And then also, I think defensively, he's not where Denver would need him to be. And also, I don't think they would want to pay him uh, and restrict free agency. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Um, next guy, Alec Burks. Guy could play on ball, guy could play off ball. Obviously, he was traded to Detroit in a salary dom. So, you know, he's a guy I definitely expect to be available at the deadline. And I think he would fit Denver well. The issue is that the definite two guys off the bench are both guards. I suppose I consider Bruce Brown a guard, even though he plays bigger than his size. But, yeah. you know, Bones, Bruce Brown, Alec Burks is that your eight man playoff rotation. Like, then you're playing really small when Aaron Gordon or MPJ, which I guess you could mm-hmm. stagger them and one of them could play the four, but you get the idea. Yeah, I, I think on paper that trade, like if you went, hey, Jeff Green and Ish Smith will give you Alec Burks and like, you know, whatever. I think that makes sense on paper, like probably my favorite trade that's been mentioned so far. Uh, but like you said, I don't know, like, do you ask Alec Burks to play the three? And if so, is he like a super high upgrade over, you know, Christian, Christian Brown or Devon Reed? Uh, and I don't know if you want to ripple a locker room uh, losing two guys like who are vets and on a team that really doesn't have a ton of vets, you know, like, do you want to lose those sort of locker room presences for a guy who doesn't have a clearly defined uh, space, you know? Yeah. So the next guys I have, they don't make that much sense. And I'm acknowledging that before I say them, just because they're both point guards and obviously no mm-hmm. bones is kind of set in that role. So I have TJ McConnell and Devontae yeah. Graham. I think TJ is a good shout. I don't think Devontae Graham makes a ton of sense. Uh, TJ McConnell, I like more just because he brings uh, a defensive tenacity that uh, Devontae Graham doesn't really have. I think if you get TJ, you can do some interesting lineups, like interesting three-guard lineups with him, Bones, and Bruce Brown, because Bruce Brown plays bigger than he is. And TJ McConnell and Bruce Brown are both very good defensive guards. but like you said, they're both point guards. So I don't know how much I love them, but they're not awful names. Yep. And there's a dog barking in my hallway that's making my dog go nuts. So, okay. What about Terrence Ross? Similar guy to Alec Burks. He's not as much of an on-ball guy. Yeah. And I know he kind of is sapped of his athleticism at this point, given that he's older at this point. But, I mean, that's a guy that, like, he's – going to be traded at the deadline, similar to books. He's on the rebuilding team. He's a veteran on the rebuilding team. That's not in the future plans. So, I mean, same thing, same feel the same way about books as you do him. Uh, I like Burks more. Uh, He Burks is better defensively. Terrence Ross had a really bad year in Orlando. I think he would have made sense for the Nuggets a couple seasons ago, but I think he's past the point of being a useful player for a contending team now. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next guy I have, again, I maybe I'm overblowing it a little bit. I do think the Nuggets, like, not really need, but I think the biggest need on the roster is shooting. Um, I, I know KCP alleviates some of that. MPJ, as you said, great off-ball mover. Jamal Murray's back. So 
maybe, you know, I'm over extending it a little bit, but again, in today's NBA, you can't have enough shooting. You can't have enough wings. You can't have enough wing depth. So if you could get wings that could shoot, you know, it, it's still a hot commodity in today's NBA. So what do we think about Landry Shamit? Sure. Um, I don't think he does enough outside of shooting to justify making a move for him. Okay. But again, same thing. It would be like an Ishmith, Jeff Green type package. Yeah. It would be probably in a scenario where like a campaign or Chris Paul, God forbid, get hurt. And then Phoenix needs another ball handler and Ishmith. And they could yeah. utilize, they have a bunch of guys like Jeff Green where enough forwards that I don't think he would be, um, that they would use him. But, yeah. And then same thing, Tory Craig. I took him from Phoenix as well. Uh, Tory Craig's an interesting one because he's a familiar face for Denver. And he can uh, play the small ball five. He's been pretty good in that role over the years recently. Yeah. I th- Let's throw in Dario Saric while we're on Phoenix, too. So either one of those guys. I think Dario is more interesting. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, if Tory Craig is, like, tenable as a shooter in the playoffs. Because the biggest thing with him was the fact that he couldn't really be played on the offensive end, at least when he was with Denver. Uh, I think he's gotten better at it uh, the past couple seasons. But I don't think he's better than, say, a Zeke Naji, for example. Mm-hmm. And then I think for Dario, Dario is an interesting one because he was really good before he got hurt. Um, I think you'd have to see what he, how good he is back from the injury before you make a move for him. I, he's definitely an interesting name, though. Dario, I'm just thinking, like, he was, when he was playing overseas before um, he came over to Philly, he was actually, like, a point forward type guy. Like, he has passing vision, and he has passing chops. Mm-hmm. So yep. I'm thinking him playing with a small ball center behind Jokic, Similar to what the Nuggets did when they had Mason Plumlee backing up Jokic as like a big man yeah. in the past where they could kind of play the same sets. So mm-hmm. that, that's my thinking behind him. I, I think that makes a good amount of sense. Like if, if you're playing, say, Zeke Nagy as the five, right? And you are like, this isn't working because we're running different sets and there's not enough cohesion between the bench and the starters because they play differently. And it's too different. I think Dario is an interesting option. Then you look at him and you're like, he's not uh, like the best in any one regard, but you can run a lot of the sets that you were running with Jokic. He provides, you know, a defensively. I, I don't feel like I remember him being that good. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like he was a, a plus defensively. Uh, so I think it's an interesting one, but I would probably try and see what you have in Zeke Naji. Yeah, and Naji's already what he's in his going to be in his third year, so his yeah yeah, so he's already going to either have to sign his rookie extension next. Well, he doesn't have to; he could just play mm-hmm. out his rookie contract and then um, be restricted. But it, it's yeah. interesting. I I just had Lauren Gunn on to talk about the Mavs from the Gunshot Podcast, mm-hmm. and we were talking about Josh Green a lot. And I feel like Zeke Naji is like the Nuggets version of Josh Green. Well, like. You put in a first round pick for him, and you know, you haven't yet like bore the fruits of your labor yet with him. Yeah. But you know, he he's good. He's a end of the rotation guy, but he hasn't really, you know, 
lived up to expectations quite yet, if that makes sense. I, I understand that line of thinking. I, I think Zeke is a better player than Josh Green, and I also think there's more to – I think he will be more than an end-of-the-rotation guy at the end of this mm. season. I'm a big Zeke Naji guy. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I, uh, I wrote a 4,000-word article on the Nuggets bench a couple weeks ago, and the catalyst for that was – I want to write about Zeke Naji, and then I just expanded to what it was. Um, but I think his shooting and defense is a skill set that isn't really seen in bigs that much in the NBA. And when it is, it's they're very valuable players. So I think he's going to be the Nuggets' eighth man by the end of the season. Okay, so now ex- you perfectly prefaced us to talk about the rotation. So again, you already mentioned the starting lineup. The starting lineup's, you know, pretty obvious. You're going to have Jokic at the five, Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. as the forwards. Knock mm-hmm. on wood that Aaron Gordon or um, that MPJ remains healthy. And then you have Jamal Murray and KCP as the backwards. Yeah. So is that going to be Denver's closing lineup as well? Because we see a lot of times in the NBA where, and Sixers have this same issue, where, you know, the Warriors mm-hmm. like, the Clippers, they go small. A lot of yeah. the time in the closing line teams do that. Obviously, the mm-hmm. Sixers can't do that. Denver can't do that. Yeah. Their best player and their offense runs through the big man. So yeah. they're, they're not, he's going to be on the court. So, I mean, I don't, I would love to get Bruce Brown in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it would be game dependent because I'm going to want MPJ's off ball movement and scoring mm-hmm. and shooting ability on at the same time and Aaron Gordon for defensive reasons. So yeah. uh, I'm still going to, you know, bench KCP down the stretch. So I, I think Denver's the one team where it's like, okay, it's really going to be matchup dependence. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to vary game to game because I think there are some times where NPJ, maybe he's getting targeted on the stretch and you can't afford to have him out there. You know, if MPJ is not tenable defensively, you put in a Bruce Brown, or if, you know, you need more shot creation, you put in a Bones Highland for say KCP or something, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Bruce Brown, KCP, depending on who's their game. Uh, but I think there will be a lot of variance in the Nuggets closing lineups this season. I think you'll see a lot of different combinations. I think by the time the playoffs roll around, you'll see one more consistently than the others. But I think even towards the end of the season, they'll probably be a little matchup dependent. Yeah. So again, I, for podcast reasons, for fantasy basketball reasons, because again, I'm, I don't like to call myself a degenerate, but again, big fantasy sports guy, love dynasty leagues, especially because as you guys know, I'm a front office guy. I like, um, I like doing 30 team dynasty leagues because kind of replicates the real thing. Um, So I I did do minute projections Mm -hmm. based off, you know, what I expect guys roles to be this year based off what they previously do. So again, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but let me know if this sounds somewhat accurate. Okay. Jokic 34 minutes, Jamal Murray 33, Gordon 31, Porter 30, just because I think they're going to want to manage his injuries a little bit um, and his back. KCP 29. Wouldn't shock me if you said KCP gets a few extra minutes that I have given to MPJ. Um, Bones and Bruce Brown 24 minutes each. Jeff Green, 18, and Najee, 17. That's the nine-man rotation. Everyone else I have, obviously, depending on the game, if they're blown out, if they're blowing a team out, they'll play. If there's an injury, somebody else steps up. But I'm just, you know, this is based off full health, playoff rotation type thing. Yeah, I think that sounds relatively accurate. I think 
that's probably like the end of the season rotation. Yeah. Uh, I think initially they'll run ND uh, with either Devon Reed or Christian Brown as the backup three. Uh, and I think you'll see Jamal Murray start playing less minutes uh, than that initially. But I think mm-hmm. rolling around to April, May ish, that will probably be, you know, their uh, or March, April ish. That'll probably be like their rotation. That's that sounds pretty accurate to me. Okay. So then where do you think Denver is in the West hierarchy right now? Obviously last year there were injuries, but at the same time, the Clippers were hurt. Minnesota really loaded up. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans played great down the stretch and they're getting Zion back. Um, Utah is obviously going to take a step back. Dallas, I think they take a step back, even though they gained wood, but they did lose Brunson. Mm-hmm. And I think last year might've been a little fluky. So, mm-hmm. I mean, where do you think they stand in the Western Conference hierarchy at full health. I mean, obviously they're competing for a championship. Otherwise they wouldn't be trading all the picks. Wouldn't be in the tax. None of that. Yeah. So the expectations Denver is, you know, to win the championship. And there were a lot of people yeah. last year that said with how wide open the West was, people said before Golden State really started dominating in playoffs that, Oh, if Denver was healthy, all these from people I talked to, if Denver was healthy, they would be the favorite in the West this year. Yeah, I think I think that would have been true if the Nuggets were healthy, even with how the Warriors played, because the last three games of that series, I know it was a four-one series, but the last three games were decided by a combination of nine points, I believe. Yeah. Uh, like the Warriors, after the first two games, it was basically even footing. They just happened to, you know, down the stretch, have more than the Nuggets did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you Jamal Murray and an MPJ, I have more in that case. Um, I think this season they are, they have as good of a shot as anybody considering if they're fully healthy, mm-hmm. that's the caveat because, you know, MPJ, uh, is an injury risk. You know, uh, I think Jamal Murray is less of an injury risk because ACLs nowadays with modern sports medicine yeah. are less, uh, damning than they were in the eighties and the nineties and the, mm-hmm. you know, two thousands. Uh, but I still I think that they have as good of a shot as anybody. I might say the Clippers are a little safer of an option. Uh, maybe the Warriors, but I think they're in that same tier of team because they have a top two player in the NBA, in my opinion. They have a all-star caliber player in Jamal Murray, in my opinion. And they have uh, a sub all-star tier guy in Michael Porter. They have a top tier player in uh, top tier role player in Aaron Gordon, a very nice conference in KCP. I think their bench will well enough uh, because of Bones Highland, because of Bruce Brown. I think uh, because of Zeke Nashi, they have a lot of defensive versatility on their bench. They have, you know, some shooting. They have one ball handler that that's the biggest concern with the bench is playmaking and shot creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they have everything you need as a contender to win a championship. So I did my way too early um, predictions for this year for podcast purposes, for me, you know, being bored on my lunch break and, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, So I do have Denver as the three seed behind the Suns Mm -hmm. and behind Golden State. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have them ahead of Memphis by a game. I know Jaron Jackson is going to miss a good chunk of the year or a good chunk of the first half of the year at least. Yeah. I do think Memphis, I know they're very well coached. I, I know they're kind of like Denver in the aspect of small market, but very disciplined team, great at development, great at drafting. Mm-hmm. But 
I do think last year was a little fluky for them. I could absolutely yeah. be wrong because I said the year before that was a little fluky and they ended up having second best record in the NBA. Yeah. So Memphis is, I think, the most impossible team to predict. And then I have the Clippers at five just because I think Kawhi and Paul George aren't going to play more than 65 games each. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be rested. And every, I, I think come playoff time, the Clippers and the Warriors would be the two teams to beat. But mm-hmm. Vegas season wise, I had Denver as a three seed. Matching up with Dallas, which I, I think would be a blessing for Denver if they could avoid the Pelicans or Minnesota. And, you know, at that point, they'd have to go Golden State again and then maybe the Clippers after that to even get mm-hmm. to the finals. And who knows how tough the East yeah. is going to be if KD goes to Boston, which in Vegas right now, he's minus 200 to go there. I think Boston probably mm-hmm. had the best package, even though Jalen Brown does only have two years left on his deal. So, yeah. But that's just perhaps to say Boston's a favorite without KD and now the favorite to get KD. So, yeah, I, I think they, I'm not saying they will win a championship because honestly, uh, there are so many good teams in the NBA that I'm not going to make a prediction until I hear at least a little bit from training camp or something. But I think they're in the tier of team that you look at as potential favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, definitely top three or four team in the, West, healthy. Mm-hmm. It's just about, you know, putting a, every year to win a championship, you really have to have everything come together in one year. Yeah. And I, I think it would be tough. Again, maybe not. I, I think it would be tough a year after your second and third best player, both are coming off season ending or season, completely out for the season injuries. Yeah. But I mean, crazy things have happened in sports. Jokic is a back-to-back yeah. MVP going for a three-peat in MVP. So if there's a time to win, it's now in the mm-hmm. next three years. Well, as you said, I did confirm and I'm looking at the cap sheet right now. You said you didn't know if the entire starting line was locked up for two or three years. It's this year, next year, and the following. So the next three years, the starting lineup's locked up. Bruce Brown has a player option, but if he decides to say you have him for two years, if not, then you have the taxpayer mid-level. And as long as you're willing to continue to pay the tax, then you know you could replace him. So it'll yeah. be it'll be interesting to see how Peyton Watson develops, how Christian Brown develops, how Zeke Naji develops. I don't know what Vlako Conchar has on the Nuggets. I know him and Jokic are boys. I know they played against each other mm-hmm. today in the um the FIBA qualifiers. So, but giving him what was it a three year was it three years in a player option? I think, or two years in a player. Yeah, option? Uh, something like that. It, uh, it was rich. It, I think it was two. It was two plus one, yeah. and I think it was a league minimum for all three. But that more comes down to he's Jokic's guy uh, and you keep, keep certain guys to keep your superstar healthy or uh, happy. Yeah. Okay. Then, I mean, at this point, Denver, they only really have Ish Smith, Jeff Green expiring, Bruce Brown could opt out. And then obviously DeAndre Jordan's on a one-year deal. So they're pretty much locked into the scene. So yeah. sure, this year obviously is what we're talking about, but Nuggets fans just overall should be excited for the future as well. Yeah, they, they have a, a, a damn good core moving forward. And again, the biggest, I, I reiterate this every podcast, I know I probably sound like a broken record, the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA is an ownership that's willing to pay the tax. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I have Warriors and um, Clippers as the top two teams to beat in the West. Those teams, are, they have their capital is like $190 million. Like they're like significant yeah. taxpayers, um, Balmer, the Clippers owner, he's so rich, he could own all 30 NBA teams if he wanted to. 
Yeah. Um, and still have money left over. Yeah. And Golden State, you know, ridiculously, um, ridiculous willingness to pay the tax. Jordan Poole's probably going to get a $100 million extension um, yeah. in the next month or so. So it, it's just Denver's competing with those two powerhouses. And again, they're willing to pay the tax. That's good. But yeah, again, com- most competitive advantage um, the NBA by far is an ownership that's willing to pay the tax. So Denver fans should be proud as a smaller market that, you know, they're trying to compete with those squads. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot to look forward to. The future's bright. Okay. So this is a part of the podcast where we're going to wind up. Asher, do you have anything you want to promote? I know you've been doing some writing or you're always doing some writing. So let me correct myself. <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, I have uh, my nuggets work on denversifts.com. It's the SB nation site for the nuggets. I'm going to be writing some draft stuff for the roll call this season. Uh, I have a podcast, believe in uh, nuggets. I have uh, another site that I'm going to be writing for hustle points. Uh, I, I have a lot of work. If you want to know what I'm doing, follow me on Twitter at Ashley MBA. That's the easiest place to find my work. Uh, you, I'll be doing film threads throughout the season on draft guys. Cause that's a thing I do. I really like so i'll be doing you know uh threads on guys throughout the entire cycle uh yeah you know you're doing a lot when you say you know what just follow me on twitter when you start rattling <laughs> off everything um but anyway asher again not only nuggets guy but great draft guy as i said him and i did some draft work together in our draft class through um get in the game which i highly recommend for the next time john runs any sort of class um mm-hmm. asher were you at summer league you were right uh yeah i was how was that uh, it was, it was a blast. Uh, I had a media credential, so I, I got some different things that I could do. I had a exclusive with Calvin Booth and Peyton Watson about Peyton Watson's development. Uh, and it was a blast seeing all these young guys try and, you know, show what they could do. Yeah. Again, I, I took the bar exam um, the week after summer league, so I couldn't make it this year, but yeah. it's definitely on my top of my bucket list of things I got to get out to. So, okay. Yeah. Um, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. You guys could follow me on Twitter at Bird Rights. Again, Asher, you could follow him on Twitter. I actually started a TikTok as well at Bird Rights Pod. If you guys want to check that out, I'm going to be posting NBA content, posting clips from podcasts that, you know, um, if the TLDR basically of what the episode was about, And yeah, Asha, again, thank you so much for coming on and I will talk to you guys next episode.